Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Rev. Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. It's in the New Testament section of our Red Bibles, beginning on page 17. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Gracious God, give us humble, teachable, and obedient hearts that we may receive what you have revealed and do what you have commanded. Since we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth, make us hunger for this heavenly food, that it may nourish us today in the ways of eternal life, through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. Amen. Now Matthew 17, beginning at verse 1. Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, is it good for us to be here? If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, the Lord be with you. I want you to take a look at this image that you see on the screen. And uh, it is an artistic rendition of what we're going to talk about this morning, the transfiguration of Jesus. And the reality is, and if you can do your own research, uh, the reality is a lot of people both outside of the church and inside of the church aren't really sure what to do with what we just read. What do we make of the transfiguration of Jesus? For the most part, people get Christmas and get Easter, even though more and more those two days are being overwhelmed by the commercialism. And thankfully, maybe we'll keep our fingers crossed, as far as we know, the transfiguration is yet to be monetized. But who knows? This is America. Some 
enterprising entrepreneur might start selling these little glow dolls of Jesus and Moses and Elijah for 1999 just in time for the season. It can happen. But the fact that the, the transfiguration of Jesus is mentioned in four places in the New Testament, in Matthew that we just read, 17, in Mark chapter 9, in Luke chapter 9, and then in 2 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 16, should say to us that this is really important stuff. This scene in Jesus' life, I think, ranks with his birth, with his baptism, with his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension. And so as Christians, it really is important for us to uh, read and understand and take in what the message of the transfiguration is for the church. And so the question is then, why should disciples, why should people like us pay attention to the transfiguration of Jesus and I, I, for the rest of my time, I just want to give you two big reasons why I think you and I should be very attentive to this story, this event in Jesus' life. One, because of what it says about Jesus. This says something about Jesus. And secondly, this transfiguration of Jesus has a message for the church and for those who follow Jesus. Now, why do I say that it says something about Jesus. Because if you go back to chapter 16, and again, you know, I want to encourage you to open your Bibles and just glance at chapter 16 so you can see why this is important. In chapter 16, there's a lot of confusion as to who is Jesus. What's his identity? And you'll notice early in chapter 16 how the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to him and they demand a sign they want confirmation that Jesus is not a fraud. And so they say to Jesus, show us a sign. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to give you a sign. The only sign I'm going to give you is a sign of Jonah. And that's pretty cryptic. But if you understand the scriptures, you will know that in the story of Jonah, Jonah was in the belly of this great fish for three days. And maybe Jesus is saying, the great sign I'm going to give you is that I'm going to be in the ground for three days, but then I'm going to rise again. The other thing we notice in chapter 16 is that not only were the Pharisees and the Sadducees confused about Jesus, but the disciples and the people in general seem to be confused about Jesus because Jesus asked them the question, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And their answers were just all over the map. Finally, Peter blurts out the right answer. And he said, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And almost in the same breath, Jesus begins to tell them about the difficult road of suffering that is ahead for him. That he will go into Jerusalem. He's going to suffer many things from the religious leaders. He's going to be killed. He's going to be crucified. And on the third day, he's going to rise again. And of course, Peter, again, speaks up, takes him aside, and begins to rebuke him. And he says, look, you can't say such negative things. And what does Jesus do? Jesus returns the rebuke. And he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. 
you are a hindrance to me. Jesus is telling Peter that you're a hindrance to me. And here's the reason why. Chapter 16, verse 23, for you're setting your mind on the things, you're not setting your mind on the things of God, you're setting your mind on human things. And then Jesus proceeds to tell his disciples that not only will he suffer, but if they stick with him, and if they follow him, they too will carry a cross, they too will suffer, they too will lose their life, but in the end they will gain it. For the longest while, when I read verse 28 of chapter 16, I often wondered, what is Jesus referring to? Do you see verse 28 of chapter 16? Jesus said, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his skin. I said, what is that all about? And once you get to chapter 17 and beyond and you, you see the power of the resurrection, you begin to see this is what Jesus was referring to, that they're going to be alive and they will see the coming. They will see the glory of Christ. Now, I believe that all of this, as much as it's wonderful to hear, it is still largely incomprehensible because their mindset, as Jesus said, is still focused on the things of this earth and they need to shift from the things they know to what God wants them to know. And this leads me to the thought, and this is maybe more a confession for me and hopefully for you, that for many of us there is this huge gap between what we know intellectually and what we have experienced. It's, it's, it's embarrassing to tell you this, but the first time I flew on a, on a plane was when I was 21 years old. And prior to my maiden flight, I, um, I watched movies of people flying. I read books about people flying. I even had the capacity to one day imagine myself flying on a plane. But if somebody came to me and said, have you ever flown on a plane? My answer would have been no. I don't have that experience. I know about it, but I've never experienced it. And one day, I had the opportunity when I boarded a flight and flew from Jamaica to the United States, and I had the thrill of feeling myself lifting off from the ground, going higher and higher. And my so-called knowledge about flying was forever transformed. I think the same principle applies to riding a bicycle, to playing golf, to baking a cake. You could read all the books. You could study it on YouTube. You could write papers about it. But everything changes when you begin to experience the actual thing. And I'm just wondering here this morning if you are in a similar dilemma on a spiritual plane where you know a lot about Jesus, you know the Apostles' Creed, you know the books of the Bible, but you've never really experienced what it means to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Jesus, I believe, wants to take them from just knowing about what is to come to experiencing what is to come. 
And the Bible tells us that six days later, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John into this very life-changing experience. He takes them high on a mountain, possibly Mount Mount Hermon. And while there, Jesus, the Bible says, was transfigured. In other words, outwardly, he was changed right before their eyes. Right before their eyes, Jesus gave these three disciples a glimpse of how he will look in the future. The disciples in that moment were experiencing another dimension of time and space. And they saw things and they heard things that they had only heard about and read about. They were seeing Jesus in all of his radiance and in all of his glory. They saw and heard Moses and Elijah, two of the giants of scripture, Right there on the mountain, they were talking with Jesus. And they were talking to Jesus about his exodus, about his death that would soon take place in Jerusalem. And the thing that I want you to notice is that these servants of God were also transformed. They were shining as the sun, just like Jesus. But notice what the disciples heard. Peter not knowing what to do with the moment, says, Lord, isn't isn't it good that we're here? Let me build three huts, one for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses. And while he was saying that, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. I'm reading through the Pentateuch right now, and there's a lot of references to the cloud. And everywhere you read about the cloud descending, it refers to the, to the Shekinah glory of God. It refers to the, to the presence of God, the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, that God says, I'm going to be with you as you travel through this wilderness. And this cloud appeared. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you'd immediately see the connection here. And there's a voice coming out of the cloud. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, we're told that they fell. They fell on their knees. They fell on their faces to the ground, and they were overcome with fear. And they knew it was the voice of God speaking from the cloud. They received they received a taste of future glory. Did they understand it? And I would say no. But on the other side of the cross and on the other side of the resurrection, I think they would get it. From Jesus' standpoint, though, there is no confusion. There is no identity crisis. The transfiguration of Jesus Christ was a powerful display of his divine character. It's a glimpse of his glory. It's a glimpse of the glory that Jesus had before he came to this earth in human form. And he told some people one day in the book of John that just got them so angry. He said, for I have come down from heaven. And they didn't understand that. They said, but isn't he Mary and Joseph's son, the carpenter? What is he talking about that I have come down from heaven? heaven. Jesus had no confusion about his identity, about the nature of who he is, but we are often unsure who is Jesus. The transfiguration reveals that to us. 
that Jesus is God. He has always existed in relationship to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And now he's revealing himself to his disciples, giving them a taste of who he really is. But here's the second thing about the transfiguration. It doesn't all only reveal who Jesus is, but it helps us, the church, the disciples, to face all the difficult tomorrows. The transfiguration helps us to face all the difficult tomorrows that you and I will face. Peter, James, and John saw Jesus as he's always been, always been from before eternity. And what they saw would strengthen them over the course of the rest of their lives. You see, the disciples will always need reassurance. The disciples will always need encouragement because life will be hard. There will be pain. There will be suffering in this life. And the disciples will doubt. And the disciples will question. And the disciples will wonder if this life is all there is. They needed this glimpse. Because a few days later, Jesus was going to be arrested. He was going to be battered beyond recognition on the cross. And their world would have been shaken. And some of them would deny him. And some would, would, would betray him. And everyone would run away from him. The disciples needed this taste of glory to remind them that his death would not be a defeat. The transfiguration would give them hope. The transfiguration gives hope to Christians in India and in Pakistan. The transfiguration continues to give hope to Christians living in Yemen or in China or right here in Evanston in Chicago. We need this taste of future glory. Think about Stephen. And last Tuesday night, I had an opportunity to spend some time with our deacons and as the devotional, I shared with them Stephen's story. Stephen was the first deacon that was appointed by the church to serve the church. But Stephen was so full of the glory and the love for Jesus. He was telling everyone about Jesus. And because of that, they arrested him. And they lied on him and brought all kinds of false charges against him. And while he was standing there on the verge of being stoned to death, Peter, Stephen looked up into the heavens and the heavens opened and he saw the, the cloud and he saw Jesus standing beside the throne. He saw Jesus just as Peter, James, and John saw him standing there resplendent in glory. And in that moment, as they were stoning him, Stephen said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Forgive them. Seeing Jesus, knowing that Jesus reigns, gives us the ability to work our way step by step through this life. And if we're going to, if we're going to sustain lifelong devotion to Jesus, we need to be reminded of this future glory if we're going to remain faithful and keep running the race and not give up, but run the race to the end, we need this glimpse of future glory. 
if we're going to continue to abide in the body of Christ, not running from the church because the church has problems, we need this glimpse of future glory. Knowing the score ahead of time changes everything. And as I was preparing this sermon, I, I was thinking about something that happened to me a month ago. I was here at the church for a meeting, and you know how some of our meetings go. Our meetings go long sometimes. And I was sitting there thinking to myself, oh, by the time I get home, that Duke basketball game is going to be done. But I had pre-recorded the thing. And so when I got home, I turned the TV on. It was late. And I'm sitting there watching the game. And it's a great game. And I finally kept saying, who won the game? Who won the game? I want to know who won the game. And I said, hey, Google, who won the Duke basketball game? And of course, Google gave me the score. And I said, good, Duke won. And then I sat back without any tension, without any worry, and watched the rest of the game with utmost delight. Now, you may not know this. If you cut me open, I bleed Duke blue. But hear me when I say this, knowing the end, knowing the end of all things help us helps us to face death. And many of us are facing death, have faced death, disappointment, persecution, tragedy, loss, failure, and pain. And what the transfiguration does for us, it reminds us who wins. It reminds us that Jesus will rise again from the dead. It reminds us that life is worth living, that because he lives, we can face tomorrow. And here's our Paul. I love Paul's word, how he describes life in this world. In life in this world, Paul is a realist. Notice what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, but we have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and it doesn't come from us. We are afflicted in every way. I wonder if anybody here is feeling afflicted. But he says we're not crushed. We're perplexed. But we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're, we're, we're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We're always carrying in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we're always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. And then he says these wonderful, wonderful words. So we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day for this slight momentary affliction. We've got to remind ourselves, brothers and sisters, that what we're going through today, it's not going to last forever. And the storm that you're going through or the storm that you've been through or the storm that you're heading into, it's not going to last forever. This slight momentary affliction is preparing us 
for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure because we look, we look, we look not at what we can see. And that was Peter's problem. Peter, you're only looking at this through the eyes of the world. We look not at what we can see. We look at what cannot be seen. Because what cannot be seen, what can be seen is temporary. But what cannot be seen is eternal. Jesus gives to his disciples a glimpse into what is eternal. Jesus gives to his church in the world, the church in China, the church in Egypt, the church in America, Jesus is saying to the church, to you and to me, don't set your affections on the things that are below. Don't bank your life on the things that you have in control because the things that you have are temporary. Set your affections on the things that are above, where God dwells, where Jesus dwells. Set your affections on the things that are eternal. And when life comes crashing in, when that unexpected death, that unexpected disaster comes your way, yes, you're going to feel it, but you're not going to be overwhelmed and destroyed by it. You're going to say, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And we may not know the micro details of our lives, but we know the big picture, don't we? Jesus wins. Jesus reigns. And that's what I believe he was giving to the disciples on the mountain that day so that when they came down from the mountain and they continued on from there, they would be challenged, they would be persecuted. All of them were martyred and they never, ever gave up. We end the Bible with one of Jesus' disciples, John, on the island of Patmos. He was on that island because of the preaching of the gospel put there by the Romans. And it was there on that island that Jesus again opened up the veil and he saw Jesus again. He saw exactly what he saw on the mountain. Jesus was shining like the sun. His eyes were blazing with fire. And Jesus said to him, listen, John, I am the Alpha, I'm the Omega, I am the A to the Z. I know the beginning, I know the end. Don't worry, don't fear. That's what Jesus is saying to us. I know your future. And Jesus tells us that he's going to transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious bodies, his glorious body. But I want to end with that slide you see on the screen, that voice from the cloud. Because none of this makes sense if you're not willing to listen to his beloved son. Listen to him. This is my beloved son Listen to him. Almighty God, I think, is telling the disciples, he's telling us that Jesus has the keys. He has the answers, but we must listen to him. And the reality is, including myself, we're not very good listeners. But here's my challenge to you. Isn't it time we stop trying to figure out life by ourselves? Our, my track record is not very great when I try to do that. Your track record is not very great. You and I, we have racked up a lot of pain because of our poor decisions, because we thought we knew what we should do, and we didn't go to Jesus and ask him to show us. 
We've racked up a lot of pain in our lives because of bad decisions. And I'm telling you this morning now, it is time for us to listen. This guy, this Jesus, this son of God, he has the future in his hands. There's no better place to go to. Nobody knows the future like Jesus. So it makes sense to listen to him. He has a plan for your life. He has a plan for your life. Won't you listen to him this morning? Would you pray with me? Let's pray together. And as I pray, if you're here today and you say, Lord, I want to listen to you, you have the words of eternal life. I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Anyone, everyone, if you're ready to listen, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Jesus, help me. I've not listened well to you. I admit my sins and my failures to you. You have the words of eternal life. You gave your life on the cross so that I might have abundant life. You rose from the dead to give me life. Teach me how to listen. Come into my life today. Change me. Transform me into the person I was created to be. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, And God's people say, Amen.